See, our circumstances should never dictate our view of Jesus or our faith in Him. Things can be going bad for you, but that doesn't mean that God is any different than He was yesterday, the day before, the year before, the century before. Welcome to A Word from God with your host and teacher, James Lindley. The title of this episode is The Ministries of John and Jesus and was recorded live at Grand Community Church in Springfield, Missouri. Hi, this is Misha Pelkey, and before we get started, I want to remind you that James loves hearing from his listeners. Drop him a line via email at james at a wordfromgod.net. That email again is james at a wordfromgod.net. Or write to James Lindley Ministries, P.O. Box 8082, Springfield, Missouri, 65801. That address again is James Lindley Ministries, P.O. Box 8082, Springfield, Missouri, 65801. Now here's your host and teacher, James Lindley. Okay, so Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 30, the ministries of John and Jesus. In chapter 11 of Matthew, Jesus addresses the people concerning John the prophet and himself. He also condemns those who reject their ministries. And at the end, he invites those who are burdened by religion to come to him. So my first point today is messengers from John the Baptist. Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. I'm reading out of the ESV today. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, leopards are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Amen. Okay, so the first point in this scripture we see is that Jesus instructed his disciples first and then sent them out. God always instructs us before he sends us. Too many times we think we got the answer, we run out, and we start talking and teaching, and God hasn't taught us what he wants us to say to people, right? So that's an important lesson. I think it's awesome that that's included in that verse that he taught them first, and then he sent them out. So he equipped them with the knowledge they needed before he sent them out to teach. Always remember, we have to sit at the feet of the teacher, to learn what he is teaching us before we go out and speak it to others, we have to learn it first. While his disciples were working surrounding cities, Jesus was busy in Galilee. So just because God's got you working doesn't mean he's doing nothing, right? Jesus was busy too. Amen. So uh, everybody was busy preaching the good uh, news of Christ. Now John had been imprisoned by Herod Antipas. I hope I said that right. Antipas. And as he awaited death, he presumably heard about Jesus' ministry. So basically what was going on with John the prophet was is that he was speaking out against the illegal marriage that this Herod guy had going on. And he didn't like that too much. And uh, he imprisoned him for it. 
And uh, things weren't going too good for John. They weren't. And so while he's sitting in this place, uh, and believe me, it wasn't a cushy place to be sitting, he got the doubting. Man, is this the guy that I was supposed to be, like, you know, preaching about? Or is there another? Okay. <laughs> and uh, John is concerned due to his imprisonment. The circumstances that John has found himself in is dictating to him his level of faith, okay? So basically what's happening is John is falling on some hard times, and now he's starting to question Jesus Christ as being the one sent from God. Jesus quotes Isaiah the prophet to reassure John. See, our circumstances should never dictate our view of Jesus or our faith in him. Things can be going bad for you, but that doesn't mean that God is any different than he was yesterday, the day before, the year before, the century before, okay? Jesus didn't come to save us out of all of our earthly troubles. He didn't come for that reason. And that is the wrong view to have in Christianity. Now, I know that there's preachers on TV and even some on the radio that will teach you differently, okay? But the reality of it is, is yes, God helps us. I believe that. But that's not why Jesus came. He didn't come to deliver us from earthly problems. Does he help us? I've been helped by God. Okay. All right. But that doesn't mean that that's his obligation. Okay. He's not obligated to do that. So John sitting in prison is starting to think, well, if this guy is Jesus, how come I'm not being saved out of this mess? Because see... The Jews in that day were believing that the Messiah to come was going to rescue them from their worldly enemies and set up a kingdom right then and there. But Jesus came to save us from sin. John was looking for Christ to deliver him from his enemies, but Jesus came to deliver us from sin. The wrong idea about Jesus can cause us to question our faith in him. That's why it's so important to read our Bibles, because If you get the wrong idea about Jesus, you're going to start questioning things based on what you think you know about him. And then you're going to find yourself in a lot of despair, spiritually, emotionally, mentally. Oh, yes. Jesus mentioned the miracles because they bore witness of his deity. It's important to understand that the reason why there were so many miracles going on at this time is because Jesus was establishing proof that he is who he claims to be when in doubt of god don't turn away but rather turn to him now john had doubts but he didn't turn away he sent his people to go ask jesus a question so he turned towards jesus not away he could have just said well that's not the guy that's what i get for believing he could have turned hard-hearted okay but he didn't Okay, he turned towards Jesus. Number two, messengers from John the Baptist continued. Matthew 11, verses 7 through 19. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. 
This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no other greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay. But to... But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. That's a lot, isn't it? Well, Jesus is trying to make something very clear. John fulfilled his God-given purpose better than any other man other than Jesus Christ, yet Christians have an even greater spiritual heritage through Jesus. See, when John did what he did, he did it before the resurrected Christ. And Jesus is saying that the smallest of Christians are greater than him because we are justified through Jesus Christ, the risen Christ. Amen? Isn't that something? As great as John was, Christians, the smallest of us, are even greater in heaven because we are justified through Jesus Christ. We are in the right standing with God. The kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. Refers to the enemies of God who tried to stop the coming of Christ. Enemies such as the opposing Jews and Herod Antipas. You see, remember when Jesus was born, all the little children were killed? And the Jews that were coming up against Jesus were trying to get him killed, stoned, and eventually they succeeded, didn't they? They were trying to stop Jesus Christ, and it had suffered a lot of violence. Let's not make a mistake that being a Christian is some dangerous stuff. Even today, it can be dangerous. It just depends on where you're at, who you're speaking to, okay, and what the circumstances are. This world opposes Jesus Christ as a whole. The world wants nothing to do with godly things. Christians have to stand for what is right. We have to stand for our rights. Amen? That's the only way that the kingdom gets pushed through is by people resisting the evil that would stop it. Praise God. John was not Elijah resurrected, okay? He wasn't. He wasn't reincarnated or anything like that. But rather, he came with the same mission and spiritual calling to point people towards God through the coming Messiah. John was the last of the prophets to come concerning the Old Testament of the Messiah's appearance. It ended with him. And he came in the same spirit of Elijah. He wasn't resurrected. Okay, wasn't a ghost. But he came to proclaim the coming of Jesus Christ, and he did it. And even he, when he suffered imprisonment, had doubts. You know, John preached a strong sermon concerning Jesus. But when trouble befalled him, doubt hit him. It can happen to anyone at any time. 
doubt can seep into your heart because of your circumstances. Well, if God loved me, if he cared, if he was really in control, I wouldn't be going through this right now. Things like that can enter our head. It can happen to anyone. If God cared about me, I'd have more money. If God cared about me, I'd have more friends. If God was real, there wouldn't be so much sin in the world. We have uh, a page up on Facebook, and somebody wrote on it, I can't believe that there's a God because there's so much bad happening in the world. It's that unbelief that contributes to some of that bad. It's unbelief. The generation Jesus was speaking of in these verses were the people in his day who were selfish and stubborn. Hmm. Sounds familiar? Yeah. (laughs) They were unwilling to accept John and Jesus' message of grace. Stubborn, closed hearts, hardened hearts. You know, sometimes people will tell you that they believe in God. But the God they believe in isn't the Jesus that we're talking about to them. See, the God they believe in is a God of works. And people who believe in that God believe that their works are better than anybody else's works. Okay, the God that I believe in is Jesus, and I believe in his works. I know I'm a sinner, and I believe in his grace. I can't get to God any other way. But these people that Jesus is speaking of, these people are selfish and stubborn. You see, they want it their way, their way or the highway. They're not going to accept another gospel. And Jesus was giving them the gospel of grace. And they were saying, oh, no, you're not going to convince us. We know we're good people. We know that we're Jews that inherit the promised land. We know that we're children of Abraham. That's what the Jews back then believed. And then the religious leaders were selfish. They didn't want Jesus taking over their ministry. Their ministry was a ministry of oppression and control. Okay? And they didn't want to give that up. They were getting rich off the people. Playing the flute, okay? Jesus talks about playing the flute, and the people said he wouldn't dance. Christ simply meant that the, the people were disappointed that he did not conform to their ideals and expectations. It's metaphorically speaking. In other words, you know what? We, we, we played this song, and you didn't dance to it. We played to the song of, you're the concrete Messiah that's going to destroy all of our enemies and give us everything we've ever wanted, and you're not, you're not dancing to that tune, You see, Jesus wasn't conforming to their ideas, and they didn't like that. See, here he was saying, I'm the Messiah promised in the Old Testament. And they're saying, then why aren't you doing everything we expect you to do? Because that's not the Messiah in the Old Testament. That's your idea of the Messiah in the Old Testament. So that's why he wasn't dancing to their tune, right? He wasn't having no part of that party, (laughs) Eating and drinking, Jesus was accused of being a drunk and a glutton because of the sinful people he associated with. Well, I mean, come on now. He hung around tax collectors, prostitutes. And when you hang around people like that, uh, people want to accuse you of things. That's why it's very, 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 very important for Christians today to witness for Christ, but don't go around people when they're indulging in those things. Okay, now I know that Jesus hung around prostitutes, but he wasn't hanging around them while they were prostituting. Amen. Okay, (laughs) so let's get that straight. 
Amen. Number three, woe to unrepentant cities. Matthew eleven twenty through 24 says this. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you. I'm going to have trouble with these names. Chorazin. Chorazin? Yeah. <laughs> Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, or Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable for that, on that day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Well, now that I butchered those cities' names, <laughs> we can move on. The mentioning, the, uh, the mentioning of the cities were, the mentioned cities were where Christ did most of his miracles, and yet they rejected him as Messiah. So think about this for a minute. Jesus is comparing these places to a sexually sinful city that was destroyed by God. And he did no miracles in there, and they didn't repent. Yet he did miracles in these places. They saw his deity. They saw the miracles. And they still rejected him. Could you imagine how upset that would make God? If you can't imagine it, just imagine for a minute that everybody sees your good works and calls you something that's not true. People see how hard you work and how good of work you do, and then they slander you, even though they see your efforts and your good intentions. It's upsetting, isn't it, when people don't appreciate you and they actually see the good works that you do. Welcome to ministry. Because <laughs> that's what happens. Not only did they reject Jesus' ministry, but remained unrepentant. Not only did they say, well, you're not the Messiah. You're not the deliverer. We're going to keep on doing what we've always been doing. When you don't believe, you live any way you want to. Sodom was a perfect example of a sinful city. Whoops. Yet even they would have repented if they had witnessed the miracles of Jesus because Jesus said they would have. Jesus said they would have. He knows. But he had not yet come when that time was there. So God destroyed. But they're going to have an easier time at the judgment than the cities he mentioned. A righteous person is anyone saved by grace through Christ. This should be number four. Come to me and I will give you rest. Verses uh, 25 through 30 in Matthew 11 says, At that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, 
And no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A yoke is something that you could put around an ox's neck and you could pretty much steer it any way you want it to go. Religion can become a yoke. And that's why he was using this metaphor. You see, the religious leaders were putting yokes around the people's necks and they were telling them which way to go. And if you didn't go the right way, then you suffered a beating, (laughs) so to speak. And Jesus was saying, look, if you come to me, my yoke is easy. My yoke is yoke of love, okay? The only way that we make God's yoke heavy is when we start adding religion to it. The wise and understanding that Jesus is talking about uh, refers to those who know worldly things yet ignore the spiritual. Listen, as a pastor and a former business person, I have met some smart people. There are a lot of people out there that are really smart. And I admire them for their worldly knowledge. And I respect them for their worldly knowledge. And I get counsel from these people when I need it. But when it comes to the things of the spirit, I'm careful who I go to. Because I have met some people who don't know much about the world who can teach me a thing or two about God. Just by the way they live their life with him. Okay? And so Jesus isn't impressed by the wise and understanding of this world. He don't care how smart y'all. You're not impressing him. Okay? He doesn't care how much money you got in your bank account and how you got it there. He's interested in what you have going on with him in your relationship. You want to impress God? Have faith. Have faith. It's the only thing that pleases him. Little children refers to the people who accept Jesus through simple faith. The simpler your faith is, the less complicated your faith is, the closer you're going to get to God. He wants you to come to him like a little child, not even questioning, thinking, or even considering, worrying about anything that he has told you to do or not to do. Just come to him as a child and obey simply through faith. And that's why he calls us little children. If God ever calls you a little child, you're getting somewhere with him. Because you're trusting him more and more and more. It's when we come to him as a man and a woman that we're saying, I got it. I got this figured out. No, you don't. Every time I think I got something figured out about God, he teaches me something new. All things, okay, Jesus has been given everything necessary to fulfill his mission of salvation. See, Jesus, when he came here the first time, he came as a lamb. And the whole world wasn't given over to Jesus. Right? Because they killed him. He rose from the grave. But he didn't establish his kingdom, did he? 
when he's saying all things in this point in time, he's saying everything necessary to fulfill his mission of salvation. You see, just because you don't have everything you want or everything you think you need doesn't mean that God hasn't given you everything that you need to succeed in what he told you to do. The other thing it talks about is that it speaks also of his divine authority. Jesus had to have the authority to do what he did. He could not have resurrected from the dead if the Father had not given him that command. Only Jesus knows the Father and only he can introduce us to him. There is no other way to the Father except through Jesus. Now, this is interesting because Jesus actually says who he chooses. You see what I'm saying? You did not choose me, but I chose you. Did he not say that to the disciples? You see, God has to pick the people through Jesus Christ who's going to come to him. If you're not called by Jesus, you're left out. There are some people that you can talk to about Jesus and witness to about Jesus, and the more you talk about it, the more they hate you. The more they hate the idea of God. Those who labor are those trying to reach God through religion. Jesus wants to give those people rest through his grace. So if there's anybody in the sound of my voice here today who's trying to figure out what to do for God, understand it starts with Jesus. Christ came to remove the yoke that holds people to works and give them rest. That's a spiritual rest. But once you accept Jesus Christ, it's time to get busy in the body and start serving him to get the word out to other people so that you can give what you got. Praise God. In conclusion, I want to say, you have heard the words of Jesus today, and you can choose to hear them or reject them, just like the people in his generation did. Christ desires that we hear them, and for us to answer his call to salvation, will you reject or accept? This is Misha again to remind you that James loves hearing from his listeners. You can contact him via email at james at a wordfromgod.net. Again, that's james at a wordfromgod.net. Or write to James Lindley Ministries, P.O. Box 8082, Springfield, Missouri 65801. And be sure to visit us online at www.awordfromgod.net. I'm Misha Pelkey for A Word From God. And I'm James Lindley. And I want to thank you for listening. And I pray that God will bless you immensely 